Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Today, we have an intimate conversation with the inspiring New York Times bestselling author of Crying in H Mart and Grammy nominated singer of pop band Japanese Breakfast, Michelle Zahner. She's created space for more representation by showing up as her authentic self and championing other artists who are doing the same. We'll learn about her career journey and how she's not only taking up space, she's also changing the space. This was recorded at Salesforce's annual Gender Equality Summit that seeks to elevate and inspire the next generation of women leaders and male allies. Now, let's take a listen to Michelle Zahner in conversation with Abigail Hollingsworth, Vice President of Global Benefits at Salesforce. Michelle, first off, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. And also, congratulations on your recent Grammy nominations. Thank you. As well, yes, right? As well as your beautiful memoir, Crying in H Mart, which was just published last year and is already being turned into a major film. Is that right? That's the idea, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got here in your journey? Sure. Um, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, a small town in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, in when I was 16 or so, I, I just fell in love with the indie rock scene, which I feel like is... Um, you know, flourishes in the Pacific Northwest, but is very uh, white male dominated yeah. and something that my Korean mother could not understand that I was uh, <laughs> into. But I started writing songs uh, when I was 16 after I convinced her to, to let me learn how to play the guitar. And then oh I attended Bryn Mawr College where I studied creative writing um, and played in a band on the side. And actually I created an independent major uh, called creative production that was like film studies and creative writing, which is basically the most like um, inconvenient or like (laughs) seems like you're not really going to get a job, but is exactly kind of what I do for a living now. But I studied creative writing in college uh, and I was so in love with the department and um, was very fortunate to have a wonderful mentor, Daniel Torday, who was my professor who exposed me to a lot of my my favorite authors and, and really taught me how to write and to read um, like thoroughly. And, and um, yeah, I took every single one of his courses wow. except for nonfiction uh, because I never nice. thought I would write nonfiction because I felt like, I think, honestly, I just didn't feel like being a Korean American was something that could be literary. I was very into these sort of rugged working class stories like Mm -hmm. Raymond Carver and Richard Ford. And um, I I wanted to write like that because I felt like if I were to ever write maybe from my perspective, uh, there would have to be too many digressions about my identity and how Mm -hmm. my parents met. And I could never just have someone that looked like me be a neutral character that was defined by their actions. Wow. And and the more that I think about it, I realize I, I realized that um, I never felt like I could be a main character, an American protagonist. And, and yet so, you are. And yeah, and yet um, <laughs> this book has uh, very much from my lived experiences yeah. and uh, comes from a very authentic part of myself and has been on the bestsellers list for 42 weeks now. Oh so my I, gosh, yeah, that's Asian so Americans exciting. Can wow. absolutely be American protagonists. Right. 
And there are so many poignant moments in the book. I loved it when I was reading it. But one of the really interesting parts was when you mentioned Karen O, oh, who is the, the lead singer for the Yaya Yaz, and how significant she had an impact in you, um, being someone who is also half Korean and also doing something that you wanted to do, be a musician. And so I was curious about what you thought about the music industry and what you hope to see change in that and where you see your role in that change? Sure. So like I said, I grew up uh, in the Pacific Northwest and was very uh, enchanted by a genre that's pretty white male dominated. Um, And around that time, my friend gave me a DVD of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Live at the Fillmore. Mm. And Karen O came bounding from the side of the stage, deep throating a microphone and like lassoing it above her head and spitting water everywhere. And all I could think was, how do I do that? I mean, yeah. it was the exact opposite of everything that, like, a stereotypical, docile, um, you know, hyper-feminine Asian woman was supposed to right. be. And um, to find out that she was also half Korean was monumental to me, feeling uh, like I could also make music, that I could also pursue that for a living, that yeah. it was possible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's really wonderful now that, you know, instead of her being the only one, there is such a wonderfully um, diverse group of uh, Asian American or Asian Canadian women that are in in the music scene that are personal friends of mine. And it's really wonderful um, getting to see that there doesn't have to just be one person to identify. You have all of these different types of music. We all make very different types of music. Yeji is a Korean American electronic DJ and Luna Lee is a half Korean, um, like just shredder guitar player, violinist, harpist, like multi-talented instrumentalist. Mitski writes these like painful, aching, heartbroken songs as a half Japanese woman. And uh, my friend Jay Sam is Filipina and is one of the most incredible producers I know. So mm-hmm. it's really exciting to think that you don't have just one person to identify, but you have so many different um, genres and, and talents to, to aspire to. Well, you also talked about in your book that you wrote about how white boys don't feel that scarcity mentality, right? When they see someone like Iggy Pop on stage. And then you've mentioned so many great artists and you've been known to really lift up Asian artists um, through your social media or bring them on tour. Why is that important for you to do? Um, I feel like there's two big reasons. I mean, the first was that was that was how I got my start. I was really lucky that um, Mitski brought me on her first North American tour mm. and... Um, at the time, we didn't really think it was that groundbreaking, yeah. but it was me and Mitski and Jason, and it was one of the first like North American sold-out shows um, that that featured three Asian American women headlining, wow. and it was really powerful. I mean, I, I don't think that my career would be where it would be without Mitski, and at the time, I think Mitski could have taken a route where you know, she was in this coveted position as an mm-hmm. Asian American woman. And right. maybe like even in the nineties, like back when they would, you know, and they still do this when they pit women against each other, that there's only space for, uh, w- one of us one. or whatever. Right. I think that it, it helps to preemptively bring that in and, and, yeah. um, support other women and support, um, people who, who make you feel like there's only 
room for for one of you. And so because she, I really benefited from her sort of supporting me early on in my career. That's something that is really important for me to have um, to bring more diversity into the stage. And you know, coming from a DIY background, mm-hmm. um, I know how how much it helps to get to open for a, uh, open for a headlining band that comes with a guaranteed um, support payment and also um, guarantees that you're going to play to a full room ev- mm-hmm. every night. I mean, that is something that I did not have access to until Mitski brought me on tour and changed my whole life. And so I feel like I really benefited from that and I really want to do that for other people in my position. You're amazing. That's fantastic. And I know that we talked about it actually backstage. You're going to be playing with Karen O soon. Are, yeah, that's another wild uh, full cir- circle moment. Yeah, I'm so excited actually. She, I've weirdly become uh, somewhat friends with what feels like all of my heroes at, at this wow. point in time. And uh, she actually hit me up after we got our Grammy nominations and uh I think she gave me some funny advice that was just like, if you ever just like want to like smash things, like you should do it. <laughs> um, she just is like such a, I don't know, such a rock star and like has been so supportive on to me privately. And um, I'm just so excited to get to to see her on a stage and, and play with her. I, I feel like a little nervous because I feel like I've stolen a lot of um, show moves from her that I'm going to have oh. to edit <laughs> when I uh, when I open for her. But yeah, it's a real dream come true. Yeah, but it's so wonderful to hear about the camaraderie and really kind of the community and lifting each other up. That is amazing because we definitely do need that, that representation. So thank you. Um, the other piece about your book that I loved was, well, there are so many pieces about your book that I loved but you also took us on this journey of kind of you finding yourself. And it was you finding yourself also told through the story of food, Korean food, which is wonderful. And so I'm curious about how embracing your background and showing up in the world as your authentic self, as an immigrant, as a Korean American woman, as someone who has um, had some adversity in their life, how has that informed you in what choices you make, especially in your career and your industry, and what work you're prioritizing right now? Oh, um, you know, I I feel like after my mom passed away, I mean, my life really divided in half. I think of my yeah. life very much uh, as before and after that moment. Mm-hmm. Um and certainly it it lit a fire in me that, um, you know, our time here is very limited and I had yeah. so much to say and so much I wanted to do and pursue that um, I think it made, it, it just changed my life. You know, I, I think I am extremely a- ambitious and, and focused on, on putting something good out into the world before I, I leave it. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think, you know, being biracial and having my parent that ties me to this culture die, um, Mm -hmm. this part of myself that I just always felt uh, was just an intrinsic part of me felt at risk in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that my mom was no longer alive to ask which brand of seaweed. I felt all of a sudden I I couldn't... um, 
that, that's part that I never questioned about myself was yeah. no longer uh, just a natural part of who I was. And so I think I so much of what the book is about and so much of, um, you know, me learning to cook Korean food and interacting with the culture more is my way of um, preserving this part of myself that is that is at risk if I don't maintain it. It is this like type of um, cultural ritual that I am working to preserve it. And it also makes me feel closer to my mother who I miss terribly um and I think that you know when I think about what I want to pass down when I have children someday I think that um it's my way of being able to maintain that so I I I feel confident in in what I have to to send down I love that and you almost made me cry that was (laughs) so beautiful um one of the things we also talked about in um backstage was when I first got this, um, when they first asked me to actually moderate this, I almost said, no, I first said, was thinking, no, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough, not this enough. And then they said who it was that I was moderating. I'm like, you got to break through that because I wanted to meet you, Michelle. But I think that is so common for women and especially people of color, um, this whole imposter syndrome, right? And I'm curious at whether or not you've ever experienced this, especially with all of your successes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I experience it every day. Uh, I confront it like every moment of my life. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, most recently I was asked, you know, I, I think so much of the time I just, I, I do, you know, I mean, even when we were offered SNL, uh, the first uh, couple of days I spent yeah. like just thinking about how many horrible comments I would receive about how awful my voice was and, oh. you know, people not believing that, you know, I arranged and, and wrote, you know, most of the material, even though I'm just singing. And so I, uh, you know, I, I think you just have to confront it all the all the time, unfortunately. And like uh, in some aspects, it gets easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was also asked recently to to throw a, a ball at a Mets game. <laughs> like you a were weeks. Yeah, how'd you do? I haven't done it yet. It's oh, coming up. I'm actually like weirdly <laughs> more nervous about doing that than performing it. So it's like, oh, I'm going to do exactly what Carly Rae Jepsen did and just like throw it into the ground. Um, but then like, it's so heartbreaking to think about experiences as experiences right. that you're going to miss. Um, I mean, I think the thing that's so comforting is knowing that everyone to a certain degree uh, experiences that. I think there's always this feeling that you're going to be found out that you don't know uh, that much about something um, or that you're not really talented or that you, you know, don't really deserve to be there. And I think that... That's unfortunately, unfortunately, probably something that most people go through uh, their entire lives. But in a way, right. I think it's it's almost good because it means that you you really care and you want to do a good job and you want to challenge yourself. And um, I certainly have taken on some things that I think have really benefited me because of imposter syndrome. Like I'm not someone that comes from a really rich music theory background. Mm-hmm. I didn't study music in college mm-hmm. and that makes me uh, very anxious and full of imposter syndrome a lot of the times that I, you know, have why do why did I get nominated for a Grammy? Is am I a diversity yeah. case? All all this stuff, um, and so sometimes imposter syndrome can be kind of a positive thing because it's made me want to take more lessons in music theory, yeah. want to take more lessons in piano and guitar and and vocal lessons, and and it makes me challenge myself and want to be better. So I think sometimes taking that in stride can actually be uh, really helpful. But I think it has so much to do with 
the way that we're raised a lot of the time as, as women. I remember, right. I have a distinct memory of um, being in this sort of like dingy warehouse practice space and the freight elevator broke. Mm-hmm. And my male guitar player just like opened up the like circuit box and started tinkering around. And I was just like, I would never do that. Like I, right. for you to have the confidence to do that is astounding because I grew up, you know, still thinking that I like couldn't drive on the highway because like that's a dangerous thing for women or something. Yeah. You know, or like a lot of men get like toolboxes when they're children and we like don't get that, you know. And and so I think that there's a lot of things that I've grown up feeling like, oh, that's not for me. I cannot do mm-hmm. that because it, we're so socialized that way from a young age. And so um, I try to think about that a lot of just uh, having more confidence and not knowing and, and that most everyone else is doing the exact same thing. Well, and I don't know about you, but for me growing up, being Asian, being Filipino-American, I also was taught almost like to the point of perfection. I had to be perfect at everything or I had to know everything to be able to do something. And so that layered on top of imposter syndrome was just really, really hard. So we actually, you mentioned it, but we actually haven't mentioned it yet out loud. What are you doing on Saturday, this coming Saturday? I will be performing uh, live on SNL's uh, season finale. Thank you. And you just learned about it two days ago. How did you feel? Um, Yeah, like I said, I mean, I was elated, but also you're immediately just like, oh my God, everyone's going (laughs) to hate me. Uh, Why do I do this to myself? Um, And then you like slowly get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Is this something of a dream of yours? I mean, I wouldn't even say that this is a dream of mine because it's just so out of the realm of fantasy for me. Like I never, uh, I, I don't even think that I would have imagined that this was something I could aspire to. It was just like beyond the realm of comprehension. So I don't even think I like dreamed of it as a child. Okay. So what did you do though when you found out? Um, I was in, where was I? I was in Des Moines, uh, playing a, a college show at Grinnell and we were getting, um, driven in an, in a van and I just, yelled a lot I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I did I was like what am I gonna wear <laughs> oh my gosh well congratulations that Thank is you. exciting um so rightfully so you are being celebrated in so many mediums across multiple mediums whether it's the literary world whether it's the music world and soon to be hopefully the the film world um and you make it seem so easy. And so I'm curious about how you juggle so many different kinds or seemingly different kinds of projects um, from each other. How do you do it all? Um, I, there, there are two main things. Uh, one is I, I'm really lucky that I have wonderful, I've learned to rely on really wonderful, talented people mm-hmm. um, to, to do the parts of these projects that I am either not, great at or or not speedy yeah <laughs> at. um so I'm very very lucky I'm pretty good at like delegating to uh, a team of of people and um for instance like uh, you know for for my band you know things that my band does or like yeah. you know my managers and stuff like that it's really wonderful um because I used to do so, so much of that myself um and then the other thing is is I just know what it's like to uh, work a nine to five job and I can never go back there. And so I, (laughs) I feel really lucky that I get to do this for a living. Like I just, I feel like I've won the lottery and, um, you know, I just, I'm working all the time because I'm so excited by the work, you know, and I, 
you know, ultimately, I mean, it maybe seems like the things that I do are quite different from one another, but I think that ultimately I am, I just get to be a storyteller, you know, mm, I love, I love um, I think my work as an artist is so rooted in just finding um, what's extraordinary in, in the mundane. I'm so enchanted by human beings and the way that we interact with each other and how mm-hmm. um, our experiences shape us that I just want to shout from the rooftops to to look at it and um learn from it and I think that that's sort of what I do as as both a musician and um as a writer is is uh showcase these types of things and you know how they shape us and uh I get to share that with the world it's just constantly invigorating for me and so I feel yeah that's sort of how I manage it that's that's beautiful and I'm sure there are many women many people who are watching us right now who have multiple passions what advice would you give them to pursue those many different passions um I guess to just make a space for it you know Mm -hmm. when I was working a nine-to-five job I felt um just so unfulfilled you know and and um my whole life I think also having an Asian mother like it was always like you can do these things but you have to do them on the side you have Mm. to go to college and you can do music on the side you can you have to study first and then do this on the side and so I think in a way if I had just been born into it and it had always been accessible and easy to me that I maybe would have taken it for granted and I wouldn't work as hard Mm -hmm. for it I wouldn't know that it was so for me in that way yeah um so yeah I mean for a long time you know after work I would you know, get home at like seven and be exhausted. But in order for me to feel fulfilled with my day, I would spend like half an hour or an hour working on some sort of creative project. And then slowly over time, it would turn into an album or an essay or something. And then, uh, yeah, it sort of took off from there. So I think that there is, it is possible to make, you know, to have, to set aside just a small amount of time or make very small um, reserve a small amount of time for you to pursue those interests, uh, you know, it, while you're juggling everything else. In your life. I, I love that because that is so tangible. And I think many of us think that we have to actually go big for this, but the fact that you were able to do though with these small micro chunks and be able to put out an album and an essay, which the essay was what kickstarted the book. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think of so much of what you learn from pursuing a creative field and, in college is that like you just have to show up so much of the work is just showing Mm. up every day and so when I started Japanese breakfast actually I wrote and recorded songs every day for the month of June and they were like this 30 track like lo-fi project that was the raw source material for a lot of what I would do later on by the time I was like working three jobs jobs I was like very busy Mm -hmm. but I think if you just set like a very small goal like you know every day for like 10 or three times a week, like for 30 to mm-hmm. 30 minutes to 10, 10 to 30 minutes. I'm going to, if you want to write, it's like, I'm going to write in that time or I'm going to paint in that time or I'm going to take a ceramic class once a week. Like, yeah. I think that those things are really important to feel uh, a sense of purpose as a human being. And it's so important to explore those parts of who you are and uh, to feel fulfilled. And so I think it's really important to set small goals like that and, and save that small piece of something for yourself. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. That means I just have to stop 10 minutes of YouTube yeah, to be able yeah, to do exactly, that. We yeah. were talking about how we both watch YouTube and especially Korean mukbang. <laughs> um, what advice do you have for young women who are trying to find their voices? There are so many women out here, out in the world who are trying to find that voice, but the whole society is actually trying to define us, right? And so I'm curious about what your advice could be on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's something similar. I mean, um, it took me, like I said, like I didn't ever, I never thought I was going to write about my life or my yeah. family. And it, it took this uh, very intense, you know, devastating event in my life to to find the sort of natural path there. Um, but, you know, it, it feels sort of serendipitous that that was the path that in which I found success. You know, it was almost like once I stopped wanting other people to approve of something I was doing mm. so badly and started just writing yeah. from the heart. Um, that was when I was rewarded with this creative success. And so, I mean, I think that that spending, you know, a small amount of time just just practicing what that that means for you and and rereading it and or I mean I mean it's hard for me to not think of this in terms of just writing. But yeah. um I think doing, you know, pursuing whatever path that you're interested in uh and exclusively for yourself and not thinking about other people can also take practice. Um, and I think that showing up every day and trying to find that what rings true to you and isn't informed by what's popular or mm -hmm. um, what is going to feel like, uh, you know, wholesome or whatever. Um, I think that that, that is a, essential. And sometimes it just takes, um, doing something sloppily and loosely yeah. to like find that weirdly for me, you know, it took, um, I wrote very loosely and very sloppily and it was a lot of just like word vomit for out. me to figure yeah. out what my voice actually sounded like, I think. Wow. Um, and it just takes time. And I think giving yourself that space and time is, is what's crucial to, to finding that. And, and if you like it and if you, um, that's something that you're interested in, that's, that's probably your voice. I love something you just said, which is once you stopped seeking approval, that's when you found success. Mm. That is so, I, I just, I, I, my brain stopped there because <laughs> I'm going to put that down everywhere in my notebook because that is so wonderful. So you've conquered the music world, the literary world, and like I said, the film world soon. What are you working on next and what are you excited to be working on next? Yeah, I mean, right now it's just been a lot of um, touring and like, sell, you know, just like reveling in the success of these like two Are you projects. touring around the world? Yeah, we're touring around the world this year, which is very exciting. We're going to Asia in the summer and um, Europe in October and South wow. America in November. So we are, are booked and busy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm mostly just trying to in enjoy that weirdly right now. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I'm working on the adaptation for... Uh, for the book that I'm working on the screenplay now. And, you are? And I am, yeah. I finished oh the gosh. first draft and, and I'm slowly working away at the revision. So the, that's my main focus. And then I'll probably make another record and, and another book eventually. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So when do you expect the film to come out? Because I can't wait to see it. I have no idea how oh. the film stuff uh, <laughs> works, but um, I think I just have to finish the screenplay first and then I will probably know more about it. But that world is very new and mysterious to me. So... So we'll see. Probably not for a few years. That's a different kind of storytelling, and it's going to be a fun way of seeing your, your voice out in the screen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, so that's exciting. Um, Michelle, there's one more thing I just want to mention, uh, which is, you know, in your book, one of the things that you shared was that your mom asked you to hold back 10%. But I feel like you've given 110% of yourself to all of us. What gave you that courage to do that? Um, I mean, there's certainly a 10% that I have kept for myself, <laughs> yeah. you know, I have definitely felt like that advice, uh, has, has really helped me protect myself over the years and, and cherish a part of myself that isn't for everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think honestly, like 
saving that 10% is like harder for, for me than it is to share with the world. There's yeah. a line in the book where um, I say, well, I struggled to be good. I excelled at being courageous. And I think that's mm. just always how I felt about myself. I might not be the greatest at uh, all of my tasks, but I, I am... I am bold, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that I felt, um, I've always felt bold in, in sharing vulnerability. And I think part of it is, you know, an American upbringing where that's something that is, is pretty valued, I think, mm -hmm. um, and, and is a bit different from my Asian heritage. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it just, it's always been the type of art that's compelled me. Um, I, I've always loved that kind of, um, I've always felt deeply about art that, that speaks to me in, in that way. And mm -hmm. I think that naturally that was the kind of art I was, I guess, destined to create. You mean vulnerable? Yeah, yeah. And transparent. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much. I just wanted to thank you for your time today. You've been amazing. Thank you for all of your successes, your amazing album. And we are all looking forward to seeing your film. Um, and for those who haven't read her book, it is amazing. So Michelle Zahner, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Michelle Zahner, New York Times bestselling author and Grammy-nominated singer of the pop band Japanese Breakfast, speaking with Abigail Hollingsworth, Vice President of Global Benefits for Salesforce. This was recorded at Salesforce's annual Gender Equality Summit that seeks to elevate and inspire the next generation of women leaders and male allies. For more resources on gender equality, go to the Resource Center on salesforce.com. Thanks for listening today. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios.